we know what God's plan is for our life. Um, sometimes, you know, we think of God's plan in the terms of um, what's his plan from a major global kind of theological thing. When is Christ going to return? Is he going to come back um, uh, in the beginning of the tribulation, the middle of it, the end of it? The tribulation is the you know, time with the Antichrist and all the bad stuff happens, and we don't want to be here. So I'm pre-trib preferred, by the way, because um, I don't want to be here during it. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time, and it's not, like anybody, it's not like you win a prize for guessing. It's not like Jesus said, hey, figure out, you know, get, this, get this figured out. He told us that we're supposed to constantly look for him coming, plan like he's coming today, live like he's coming today, um, but it's not like, you know, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to call us all together and go, congratulations, Mike guessed it. <laughs> you know, he was the closest. Here's your prize. He gets an extra crown, you know, a thousand years after, you know, Christ's return, we go to Mike's mansion. He has a plaque up on the wall that he, the guy that guessed it the closest. And so we, um, it's, we can waste a lot of time doing that and accomplish nothing that God wants us to do, nothing for Christ. A lot of times we think about God's plan and we spend a lot of time thinking about it and we're thinking about it in terms of um, our, our place in God's plan, right? So we, we won't, don't want to do anything until we know what is God's plan for my life. And, and we, um, we really want to know God's plan. And generally when we're thinking about that, and we're really thinking about ourselves. Um, it's it's uh, what is God's plan for me and, and I'm hoping that I'm a superhero in his plan, right? And um, I'm not... It, it, we, we never think of it in, in a bad thing. We're, we're wanting something magnificent for him to, to uh, give to us to do. And um, I, I once was in a, um, a class that was kind of interesting. Um, this was at a, a church long ago, far away. There was a small group. There were 20 or 30 of us, and we'd all taken a test on what our spiritual giftings were. And uh, everybody came back with, like, you know, prophecy, healing, um, speaking in tongues. Everybody had, like, really cool superpowers. Nobody had... Uh, the gift of cleaning toilets. Not a single person got that one. And um, my gift was tetherball, by the way. And um, it has no practical purpose that I've found yet, but um, that was my gifting. So um, one of the things is, is that we have to be aware of, and we need to just kind of realize that when it comes to God's plan, he, he's not going to tell you what it is. He knows what it is. Um, in Jeremiah 29.1, um, it says that, that God knows what his plan is. And, and uh, that's good. It, it also, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it tells us to trust in him, in his plan. He'll, he'll make our path straight. But nowhere that I can find does it tell us to seek for his plan, to kind of figure it out. But um, over and over in, in God's word, it tells us that we are supposed to um, discern what the will of God is and follow that. And the good news is, is I can tell you what the will of God is for you. Um, because it's the same will that he has for me. And so it's pretty clear and pretty simple. And so uh, the message today is going to go through what are scriptures where God says, this is my will. So that way we can all know what his will is and, and seek to follow it. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the primary scripture for this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Um, you can know God's will for your life. You're going to experience his plan, but you may never know what God's plan is for your life. But his, his will for you is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a, it's a, um, a heart issue. It's... it's uh, living out his will for your life. It is not 
a specific task. I want you to go build a cabin somewhere or uh, build, you know, well, waters of well. But it, it may be something that you end up doing following his will. So I have seven points. I know I'm supposed to have three. I had a couple people tell, tell me that, that they were joking. <laughs> After the service, they were like, you're Baptist, you're supposed to have three points. I have seven, but we will get done in time because um, I didn't have as much to say between each one of them. So um, the first point is from Second Peter 3, verses 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing or willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we know as a starting point for God's will for our lives, he wants us to be saved from death to life. He, um, the Bible says that, that for us to be saved, that God draws us to him and that we need to respond to that drawing. And that, that, that response is that we repent of our sins. We ask him for forgiveness for our sins. We place our faith in him that um, he can and will save us and take us to heaven and that's the first thing, thing to do. So if, if you feel God's drawing on your heart and you have not repented and you have not placed your faith in Christ, I can guarantee that you're not in the will of God because his will is that you do that. And, and I know that it's kind of interesting. I was looking at these points, and that's the one that, that you immediately think, well, that's, you know, duh, that's simple, right? <laughs> got that, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right? Check that one off, off the list. And we immediately turn off when we start talking about salvation and we think of that as easy, but think about Christ's sacrifice. That was not um, easy. And a lot of us tend to take that for granted, that first part of his will, and, and we don't continue thinking about that as we go on through the life, uh, the Christian walk. The next step, though, is one that when I give you this one that God wants for the will for your life, you're going to think it's impossible. And um, it, it's the hardest. I, I think it's a really hard one. And that is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles do who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Um, God wants us to be free from the power of sin. God wants us to be sanctified. God wants us to live a sinless life, which um, that's hard. <laughs> um, anybody here accomplish that one? I, just, no hands? Come on, got to have somebody. Um, it's um, the, you know, it, it, the, the interesting thing is if you look at sin, a lot of us, we tend to think of sin the way the Pharisees did. And it's it, it interesting to me as I'm reading through the Bible how much I tend to think of sin as the way the Pharisees did. There's a list of rules that you cannot do and a list of things that you can do. And if you can accomplish that list, congratulations, you, you know, you're, you're sin free. Christ, though, when he came, he said, I'm going to raise that bar even higher. It's, it's your heart. It's if you're thinking about it. It's the, you know, the desires of your heart. That shows the sinfulness within you, and that is sin. And it's, um, it, it's interesting. I, one day, and I, this is a challenging exercise if you want to do this. It's really um, not fun. But I, I took a, a day one time long ago and decided I'm going to try to live an entire day without sin, thoughts and everything, just lock it down. Um, that's really hard. I don't know if you've tried it, but it's really hard. And um, I was exhausted. <laughs> I mean, it was like the most exhausting day ever, and it was not fun. And um, it's kind of odd because I was reading that in, in um, Matthew 11:28 28 and 29, it, it talks about... Um, 
that Christ is talking about all this and a lot of this, and he tells us that, that his burden is, is light, that it's e- easy. And I'm like, good night, trying to do that. <laughs> that isn't light. That's, that's hard as all get out. And, it, you know, and, and then I read about Paul in Romans, and Paul's saying, um, talking about the same thing, and says, hey, I, you know, I, I don't want to sin, but I keep doing it. And the things that I want to do, I, I, you know, I can't do. And, and so he clearly was struggling with all this. And I'm, that kind of helps me out a little bit because I assume that he's probably, you know, um, closer to God than I am, you know, more than God's will. Um, I thought that was a pretty safe assumption. So I was glad to see that he, you know, he was struggling with it too. And um, I realized that how can Christ's burden, that this burden be light? is because we're not doing it on our own. It's, it's Christ working through us. It's Christ transforming us. It's, um, it's surrendering to him that enables us to, to be in his will. And, and he works through us to sanctify us. It's not something that happens, voila, you're saved and um, you don't have these um, desires to sin still. You, you, you still do. So he's, um, he's working through us. But that's, that's his will for us to, to work towards sanctification. So that's the second thing. And, and that seems pretty hard, right? Everybody agree that's a hard one? Uh, um, um, well, here's the next one, and it's, it's not easy either. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. So no matter what you face in life, we're supposed to give thanks. Now, a, a key word is there is give thanks in everything, not give thanks for everything. So we all hate death, right? We all have family members, friends that have died, and... It, it's not fun. Christ doesn't expect you to give thanks for that. Um, we, you know, we have, I have a family member right now that's struggling with cancer, and that's not something that I'm happy about. It's not something that Christ expects me to be thankful for that. But he says for us to be thankful in everything. So in regardless of what situation, when we're going through um, the hardest things in life, we're supposed to um, be grateful for, for God and and. and be in him and with his spirit, knowing that he is there, that he comforts us, that he works together for good for those that are um, following him. And one of the, the best examples of that that, um, that I've seen is, um, have you all ever heard of Horatio Spaff- Spafford, I think his name is pronounced? He's the guy that wrote, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, if you want to have a good cry sometime, just go to YouTube and look up the story behind It Is Well With My Soul. This guy had a bad life. Um, it, it kind of reads like Job. So th- this guy got really, really rich and had a um, successful lawyer, had five kids, and all of a sudden his, his youngest, a two-year-old boy, dies. And they're really sad and tore up about that. Then um, he, he had bought tons of real estate around Chicago. There's a great fire. And he loses all of his real estate holdings. And back then you didn't have insurance on everything to replace it, right? So he loses all that. Then the rest of what he has in the commodities market and stuff um, there's a huge depression in 1873 that destroys every, all of his wealth that he has there, so he's broke now. And his family, they decide that they're going to, to move. Um, he's sending his wife and kids to move to England for him to get an opportunity over there. And he gets a message back that the ship has gone down, and all four of his daughters have died, but his wife was saved. And um, he's dead broke, lost all of his kids, and he gets in the ship, and he's going along, and he comes to the place where the ship went down. And it's there that he's, he's praying to God, and he writes the words um, to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I don't know, do you all know that song at all? Okay, good. I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, but it's, it is, it's a really good song. And uh, um, talking about the peace that God gives him as he goes through this, and, and, and it's well with his soul. And, you know, I was thinking about that. If, if I had gone through that, 
and wrote a song, a lot of times the title of my song would have been, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it, it would not have been, it is well with my soul. And um, I think a lot of us, if we were honest, that would be, we may have even worse titles than that one for it. But, um, but uh, Christ says that in everything, in everything, we're supposed to give thanks. That's his, his will. And um, so that, that's another difficult one. But imagine how different the world would see Christians if we did that, if we gave thanks in everything. That, that would be, we would definitely stand out, right? We would not look like the world in that one. Um, so the, the, uh, the fourth item that we have is where we know that we need to be in God's will is found in Romans 1 and 2, which we read as our primary verse. It says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, uh, your spiritual worship, and the King James says reasonable service. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and, and perfect. So, interesting thing here, the words conformed and transformed, um, I have read over that scripture a zillion times and never given it much thought whatsoever. Um, do you all know what conform means? Conform means that you're changed from the outside in. That you are, you are changing to be like what's on the outside of us. And we look at it, we are all conformed to the world around us. Right? We, we shift, our, our views of right and wrong are shifted by that, are impacted by that. Our, um, our sense of humor, our food, our music, our, the movies we watch, I mean, we, they, they all shape us. And we are, the world is happening to us, the world is happening to Christians. Christians aren't happening to the world right now in America. Um, and that's one of the sad things is we, I mean, we look around, we're all being conformed. Christ tells us it's his will for us not to be conformed, but instead for us to transform. Transforming, it, it, it's, transformation is from the inside out of us. It's the spirit of God within us transforming us from the inside out so that we radiate Christ and represent Christ in the world. And that's something that we need to have happen where we are happening to the world, not the world happening to us. And the reason that, that it's the other way around is because we're not transformed. Instead, we're conformed. So that is the, um, that's another thing that Christ wants for our, his will for our life is for us to be transformed. Um, so what, is, what would it look like for us to be transformed? Um, the fruits of the Spirit are a good example of what it would look like. In, in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, um, but uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Um, so it's, um, you know, when I, when I look around for an example of, of someone that looked that way, uh, my dad is a person that, that I immediately think of. Now, he was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and neither are, are any of us, but I, I still remember um, 10 years ago, we got the call early in the morning that my dad had died, and it was not expected. He was 70 years old. His mom had lived to be 99, his, his dad into his mid-80s. I was expecting another decade or more. In fact, my wife and I had talked what, the night before about that I was expecting I should have another t good 10 years um, with, with that, and he went to sleep and just did not wake up the next morning. Now, it was peaceful for him, easy for him, because he didn't have to go through a lot of the stuff you go through in old age, but it was difficult for us, for, um, for our family. And the pastor asked me to, to um, talk about my dad at the funeral, and he said, asked if I could tell a story that kind of summed up who my dad was. And it was interesting, when I went to talk about my dad, I did not think about any of the thousands and thousands of lectures that he had given me. 
Um, I had no, I couldn't remember any of them, you know, and, and some of them were very good and very long and very, you know, loud. Um, the, the one thing that I could remember was um, a time when I was 12 years old and my dad was selling a rental property. Um, it was a house that's 3040 Hunt Street. I don't know why I still remember the address, but I still do. And it was over um, in Lackawanna area of Jacksonville, if y'all know where that's at. But um, he was walking through with a, a potential buyer and he was pointing out all the bad stuff. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not very old, I'm not a businessman, but I don't think this is how you do this. <laughs> you know, he was, um, and I asked Ted, I said, so what, why did you do that? What are you doing? And, and he said, um, he said, you know, I, I don't want this guy to buy something and to get hurt by it. I want him to be aware of anything that go wrong with potential costs. And it realized, I realized my dad loved that person and cared about them. And instead, when we interact with people, a lot of times we're trying to put ourselves first with them and trying to make sure that we get the better deal. And if you look at it, that's why the world sees us as no different than them. They see us as just another person fighting to get to win right? That's, that's our, our, our goal. Is they, they don't see um, the fruits of the Spirit in us. They see us maybe as a, um, in, in a lot of cases, I've met people that are, that are definitely not Christians that, that, have, that almost view us as um, aligned with a political philosophy or whatever, and they view us simply as somebody they're striving against. They're having a battle with us, and they're going to win, you know? And it's, how do you witness to somebody like that? How do you show Christ to someone like that? Um, we, need to, we need to get to where we're not conformed to this world, and fighting the battles of this world and, and uh, trying to, to selfishly win, we need to be transformed by Christ from the, from the inside out. Um, one fun example of this, this one here that I, I shouldn't have found this funny when I, when I read about it, but I, I can't help but think it's funny. It's about an Indian chief. Uh, when, when the Europeans came over and they were first um, you know, conquering the area and, and um, uh, they, they had, this was in a, in a Spanish area, they, uh, they had ran down this Indian chief on this Caribbean island, and they, were, uh, the, they had captured him, and they had tortured him, and they had him up on a, a pole, and they were about to, to set him on fire. And when they did, the, the Catholic priest came up to him and said, um, you know, basically, would you like to become a Christian? And uh, the Indian chief was like, well, why would I want to become a Christian? And the, the, the priest was like, because when you die in the next life, you can, you'll, you'll be in heaven. And the Indian chief looked at the priest and said, are you going to be there? <laughs> and he said, yeah. And he goes, well, I don't want to go there. You know? And that, that's really the way that it is with um, you know, a lot of Christians today. I think if we, if we looked out there, um, you, know, you may ask somebody, would you like to go to heaven? And they may look at you and go, are you going to be there? <laughs> you know? Well, I don't want to go there. And, and it's because we haven't been transformed by Christ. If, if, Christ, if the people saw Christ in us, they... they would probably there's going to be more people that are going to want to be transformed as as opposed to the other way around. So anyway, that was my um, what would that be my fourth point uh, of it. So we've got three more to go here. Uh, things that God knows is His has stated His will for us. The next one is um, we're supposed to have a right attitude. Um, so Ephesians six five through eight says, "Bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ." not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. Um, doing the right thing is not it. It's doing the right thing with the right attitude. And I think we all have experienced that. We, if, if you have kids, you've, you've all seen your kids do something 
that you told them to do, right, but not with the right attitude. Um, that's a um, that's something that that's been interesting with when we see when I've seen our kids do it about it. The, do that kind of thing. What's weird is, is I keep seeing me and realize that I do the same thing to God. And he's, you begin to see your um, relationship sometimes with my kids. I see it with God to, to us. And, and I'm the kid and I realize, uh, you know, you, you, your kid fights you over a piece of candy and you're looking at him going, I can give you 100 pieces of candy, you know. Um, and, and you realize, oh, yeah, I just did that with God the other day. And it's, um, having that right attitude is amazingly important because I remember I was one of these people that was raised in church from the time I was a little kid all the way through, and um, I had some stuff that there was stuff that happened at church that was not right. It wasn't great. There was, um, uh, you know, and, and there are always opportunities. You can get mad at anybody. <laughs> just, you know, you, um, there were things that the pastor had done. There were things that other people there at staff had done, and, and it was it was wrong stuff. And I, um, I instead of worrying, about it, I, I let it create a critical spirit inside of me, and it got to the point I could not get anything from any message. I wasn't growing at all spiritually. It got to where I quit serving. I quit doing any, anything. Um, now, after a while, I, did, I kept doing my tasks that I had been signed up for, right? You know? But I, I, it dawned on me later, after I had left church for years and then ended up coming back, that um, the only person I hurt with that critical spirit was me. That, that's, that's who I had damaged um, in the course of that. And, was, and um, I, I, I didn't damage them, other than the fact that, that I may have damaged friends of mine that were with me, that I could have, um, you know, led down a wrong path. But that critical spirit, it, having that right attitude about the, that we get to serve God, we don't have to serve him. We, um, it, it's a, it's a honor, it's opportunity, it's not about us, it's about him, uh, it is, is um, very important to God and, and as we're serving him. So that's part of the will of God is making sure that we do things in the right attitude. The, the next item that, um, that we know is from the will of God is found in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And, and when you look at this, I mean, we see Christ submitting to, to God, the church submitting to Christ. Um, wives submitting to husbands. We see Christ laying down his life for the church. And we think of submission, it's all we think of it as a weakness, as a bad thing. And like you talked about this before, that it's not, it's a strength. <laughs> to be able to make yourself, submit yourself to someone else is an incredible amount of strength. And, and we, none of us want authority over our lives. And, and we have authority all around us, um, you know, calling on our time. And, and one of the things that I, that I think of that um, I've had to, to kind of grow up from is when you live in a family, you're constantly having to submit to other people. Um, there are times, this may sound kind of odd, but changing a kid's diaper, you're submitting to them, you know, in a way to change, change their, their diaper. I, I, I had it where I had kids, you know, my siblings, my, you know, parents, uh, mom, dad, grandmother, other people, all making demands on my time. And I could not wait until I turned old enough that I could get out of the house, be by myself, control 100% of my time. And it was so relaxing and peaceful. I mean, it was but what, uh, what you realize is pretty soon your life, you realize that your life is nothing. You're not living. You're, um, you are, you're not accomplishing anything. You're not growing. You're not serving. You're not, you're not in God's will. And you begin to realize that it's only by bringing people into your life and 
submitting to them, submitting your time to them, that you are actually growing and in, in, in being in the will of God. And that, in, and that includes, like, in, in ministry or anything else, that um, you can't have a thousand chiefs and, and one Indian. I've, I've been on plenty of work groups at work that are that way, and nothing happens. Um, they, they a lot of times call that, you know, we, we're going to have a blue sky thinking you know, session or whatever, which you know means nothing's going to happen. And it's, um, you, you have to be willing to submit and to do the work that you need to do that's right there, right in, in front of you, and, and kind of um, know what your role is in, in that work, um, and know what you and, and choose to do what you can do at that time with the work that's right there in front of you, as opposed to trying to think about some magnificent thing down the road or waiting until you're the chief. Um, so the, the next thing that God wants us to do, the, the, the last will of uh, the thing that, that I have in my list of things, I'm sure there's plenty of other things in there, but the, the last one that I have is. Um, Ephesians 5:17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, so, don't waste your time before you act. Ask, what is my role here? And th- this is something that's um, that's really important for me, even in my in my current work with um, software software development. Is a lot of times I can get caught up in worrying about things that I have zero control over, and I see people all the time now on my team and others that, that they waste tons of time on things that they can't do anything about. And um, one of the things that they teach us in our culture class at work, we have a thing training us how to be good um, at work, is um, when you have a problem pop up, the very first thing you need to do, the second you're starting to feel angst and tension about it, is ask yourself, um, uh, can I do anything about this? And if your answer is yes, then do it. Uh, the next thing is, if, if you can't do anything about it, can you influence it? And if you can, then communicate about it. But if you can't do it or, or influence it, then just drop it. It's gravity, is what they call it. And, and you'll have people in meetings go, that's a gravity issue. And from a Christian perspective, um, pray about it. Trust God that he's in control, that it's part of his plan, that we can't, we can't control um, everything um, here. We're responsible for doing what we can do right there in front of us. That, that's why he put us there in that moment and with that opportunity. And we have opportunity all around us every day. You have opportunity today to su- uh, serve God. You need to look for it. And when you see it, do it. Don't think about it. Wait for it. Just do it. Um, so wrapping up for this, and then I'm going to get to a practical application. Um, so I kind of fooled a little bit with <laughs> seven points. It's a little more than that. Um, God's will is not the same as his plan. Uh, we have to conform to God's will in order to experience his plan. We may never know God's plan, but if we're in God's will, we can be confident that we are experiencing his plan. So um, first thing, relax. God has it. Just focus on being in his will today. So don't worry about all the, all the things. Just um, focus on being in God's will and doing his will. And the next thing is you're not responsible for saving the world or America or who gets elected or anything like that. Um, you're just responsible for doing God's will. And you may look at things and, and say, um, you may look and go good, you know, politically you may say, oh, we had three or four presidents in a row and they're all, you know, none of them are as smart as I would be in that, that job, right? Um, but, um, you know, maybe it's God's plan that he's, you know, it may be God's plan that he's taking the country down that way for all I know. I, I don't know, you know, but it's not, we don't need to worry about it. God's the one that's in control. We just need to do what is right for us to do today right in front of us. So um, practical application here is, be what God wants you to be, and God will show you what he wants you to do. Instead of thinking about everything, just be what he wants you to be, those, the things that we covered there. So Psalms 119, verse 105 says, 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And an interesting thing about that, that verbiage there is God's a light to your feet for your next step. He's, he's not a, a light showing you where you need to be 10 years from now or whatever else. God's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Just see where you are and take that right next step that you know that he wants you to take. Um, so God wants you to be doing his will right now. If you're not serving right now, you can be pretty sure you're not in God's will. It's not about a task or a particular activity, the importance of that task. It's about character. It's doing the closest thing of value that you can do right now. So if you want a simple practical test to check and see if you're in God's will right now, um, just next quiet time that you have, pull out, a, get a three by five card and a pen and you know, look at yourself 24 hours a week, 30 days. If, you, if there's not a single thing that you've done serving God that, you can, that just pops to mind that you can write down, and I'm not, talk, not talking about going to church. That's, that's being poured into. That's not pouring out, right? That's not, not serving. But something where you've actually been serving God and living out God's will, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that you can't, if you can't do that in the last 30 days, you're not in God's will. So that, that's my practical application thing for, for it. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed that will definitely keep you from doing God's will is, is um, if you fill your life with too much clutter, debt, things like that. You'll get to where you don't have any time to do God's will. You'll get to where you're stressed out with debt, to where you begin to make more selfish decisions. You'll get to where you're too busy with sports and things like that to have time to serve at all. And it's about making doing God's will a priority in your life. It's something that you do have to, to set in place. And lastly, it's not about you. Uh, don't waste your time thinking about your place in God's plan. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Um, just think about doing God's will today. Don't think about what is my special place in his plan. Just be obedient. So uh, I'm going to um, wrap up in prayer here, and then we'll go into the invitation. And uh, just like while, while we're closing in prayer, if you could think about um, your place right now, are, are you in God's will? When you think about these simple steps, um, what do you need to do today to be in God's will? And, and are you truly surrendered to being in God's will? Are you acting or are you simply sitting back and waiting for God to reveal something magnificent to you before you do anything? Our Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be part of your plan. God, we trust you that... that um, that, that you have everything in control, God, and we ask that you would give us the strength and the, the, the clarity of mind and the focus to just simply to follow you and be obedient to you today, Lord, not, not worrying about things down the road, but just to, to ask, what am I supposed to do that you want me to do today, Lord? And we love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. David Platt, a well-known uh, pastor, uh, quoted his father, a, a quote that his father loved to, um, to use oftentimes. He says, when, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. That's basically what this message was about because as I talk with many of you and you talk amongst yourself and there's some angst about 